0: are here in the 11FS offices in WeWork, Oldgate, London for episode 54 of Blockchain Insider. This weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and where crypto meets institutions. Uh, Today we bring you Todd McDonald had a quarter, Uh, the FCA is getting a blockchain play in their sandbox and Coinbase get custody. All right, I'm not alone today as well. I'm joined by my co-host, Sarah Finan. Hello, Simon. Hello, Sarah. Welcome back. Thank you. It feels good to be back. Good. Uh, uh, But I'm not looking as well sunned as you. You've been sitting out in the garden. What's been happening? I
1: have. I've been reading white papers in the sun.
0: Not in a field. (laughs) Okay, never mind. (laughs) 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 And I'm very, very pleased to welcome back to the show Noel H. Noel. How are you?
2: I'm very well, Simon. Thanks. How are you?
0: I'm really well. And that's not all. Joining us from Coindesk, back at Coindesk, after a stint at Quartz, uh, the wonderful debutant, uh, and Wong. June, how are you, sir? I'm very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. You've come dangerously close to being on the podcast a few times. You've you've uh, floated with it, and now you're here living the hipster dream. I'm finally uh, over the edge, yes. <laughs> Gone over the edge. And uh, whilst we're going over the edge, um, I'm going to remind everybody that today's episode of Blockchain Insider is brought to you by R3. R3 are now working with over 200 financial institutions Regulators and trade associations uh, to develop Corda, which I, I saw we'll come to it later. They've just done the uh, Corda enterprise release, so well done to the guys at R3. Uh, Corda is the outcome of over two years of intense research and development uh, by R3 and its members, and they say it meets the highest standards of financial services industry, yet is applicable to any commercial scenario. It records, manages, and executes financial agreements in perfect synchrony with their peers, creating a world of frictionless commerce and It's open source. So you can go to r3.com to find out more. All right, let's dive into the first story. First story comes from bloomberg.com, the world's largest crypto exchange, in this case, Binance, eyes a billion dollar profit amid a rout, apparently so according to the ceo of binance they expect a net profit of 500 million dollars to a billion in 2018 uh their first half revenue was around 300 million us dollars and their average daily turnover at the venue which opened a year ago is roughly 1.5 billion dollars by value uh, and they have about 10 million users so um i mean june do you have any thoughts on this one
3: yeah, it's kind of interesting how quickly um, winners and losers emerge. I guess in the crypto exchange space, because not too long ago, Binance was a young upstart. And people like Bitfinex and and Bitflyer were the, were the big winners, and and now actually Binance is something like eight times less uh, trading volume than Fcoin, which is a new crypto exchange has emerged over the last few weeks. So um, Binance is evidently making money now, but, uh, but how long they'll stay on top is anyone's guess.
0: Yeah, it's it's the early creative destruction days, I guess.
2: I'm going to jump in with my media hat, and why are they putting this news out now? I mean, for one thing, it, it shows a bit of a misunderstanding what exchanges do. Exchanges make as much money when the market's going down as when the market's going up. What they don't like is well, pretty much what we have now, which is a flat market. So they're making the money part in a route. I mean, that's a clickbait headline, really. And why are Binance putting out profit estimates for 2018, unless they are either looking for investment, or is it a PR stunt? But a PR stunt that could easily bite them if they don't make those.
0: Well, also, yeah, they're looking to sell, or they're looking to be bought, because uh, if the market does stay flat, and then, you know, and I think that was implied in what you were saying, then maybe, and, and in June, as you were saying, there's other things out there on the horizon that could bite them soon. Maybe now's the time to sell.
2: And then also they talk about a reserve that they're going to create to en- enhance customer confidence that if anything goes wrong, there's funds there to, to fix the, the gap. But that is is, that going, is the 500 to 1 billion before that reserve or after
0: the reserve? So this is the SAFU fund, Sarah?
2: Yes, it is. It's the Secure Asset Fund for Users,
1: um, which was... Is- actually came into play after there was a an outage in Binance. Um, and apparently they said it was a, a bunch of unusual, unusual trading from a number of API users. So what they've done is they've decided to um, create an extra level of security by creating this fund, which is said to be 10% of all trading fees to cover losses in extreme
0: situations. Which by default makes them less profitable.
2: Yes, exactly. And it's a great idea. But why combine that with the public estimate of what their profits are going to be what's the motive behind this
0: yeah i i I mean i'm I'm trying to read between the lines here, but I'm guessing it's hey, we've had some hacks, but don't worry, your money's safe. But also, look how fast we're growing. You're part of an amazing growth story. Don't worry, we're still exciting, even though we're doing something safe.
3: I think it's interesting um, that um, C C Z or Changpeng Zhao, the the Binance CEO and founder, is I think probably the most open of the exchange operators out there. He's constantly in the media. He used to work at Bloomberg as well, mm-hmm. so for you know he seems to be quite often in Bloomberg. So he's he's pretty. Um, in the public eye I think it's worth noting that there has been a a trend somewhat uh, towards consolidation in the exchange space not necessarily because there's not enough profit to go around but in some cases or so I've heard exchanges are seeking regulatory uh, certainty so they'd rather sell out to a larger entity uh, than than stay independent, so you know it would, I would not rule out that possibility. Yeah,
1: I was going to go down that route as well. So I think the um, Malta's obviously been one of the jurisdictions or countries that have been courting some of these exchanges, and in fact, Binance I believe is is moving to Malta soon. So it could be something along the lines of legitimization, and they're also looking to introduce some fiat, including Euro, which would necessitate some regulation mm. and some some. Because uh, Malta as well. just
0: passed three separate bills that that are designed to address this space. Which uh, when I spoke to a number of kind of experts who were sort of saying, well, actually those bills aren't as permissive as you think they are. They they're actually pretty pretty high bar that you've got to pass to be regulated by all three of these bills in Malta. And I think people that are, were lucky to be regulated are suddenly realising, oh wow, okay, now we have to do the thing that <laughs> that means maybe we don't end up quite as profitable as we used to be. And uh, you know maybe we're not the, the, the crypto darling of the revolution and we've got to, you know, like this, this idea that we want to be regulated but we want to be in the Wild West. You can't be both of those things.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. It also makes Binance the poster boy for jurisdictional arbitrage. They're going where they like the regulations best. And how much more of that are we going to see, and what effect is that going to have on the regulators themselves?
0: Well, and, and also, what what incentives are there for these types of centralized exchanges? I mean, we'll, we'll come on to um, to Coinbase uh, in a second. In fact, let's let's go there now. Good segue. Uh, Yeah, no, so Cointelegraph.com reporting here, but it was widely reported that Coinbase Custody targeting institutional investors is now officially open for business. So apparently they've been storing over $20 billion worth of uh, clients' assets in crypto over the past six years, but its new custody offering will be secured through an SEC compliant and FINRA member independent broker-dealer, Electronic Transaction Clearing, ETC, which is uh, not to be confused with Ethereum Classic. Um, so th- apparently this means that institutions from both the US and Europe can now store their crypto assets with Coinbase. So obviously institutions often look for um, that custodian to look after these these assets in, uh, separate to the exchange. I'm interested to talk me through why an institution wants to see somebody doing this custody role, because part of the original thing with crypto is you can be your own custodian, you would custody your own assets, but this is quite different.
2: It's very different. Institutional funds, by their own rules and often by law itself, cannot hold their own funds. It has to be with a registered custodian for safety, for transparency, and to check all the compliance regulation. That There's a separation
0: get... of concerns for a lot Absolutely. of it. Like if the same person's trading my money as holds my money, they could potentially do a whole bunch of stuff without me knowing about it that's to their benefit and not to my benefit. Totally.
2: And there's two very interesting threads going on here. One, the institutions, it has been long said, are waiting on the sidelines for an institutional custody product to their liking. So here we have what potentially could be said institutional custody product to their liking and the market hasn't moved. What I think is happening is that for for our sector, Coinbase is a blue chip. But Coinbase is not a blue chip for the fund management sector, for the asset management sector. And they are still waiting for the State Streets and the BNY Melons to offer crypto custody. They are the names they're comfortable working with. And while Coinbase will do very well on this, I'm sure it'll be a very strong business line for them. The big funds, the big hedge funds and the pension funds are probably going to keep on waiting a bit more until names that they're comfortable with, names that they're certain will have their assets guaranteed if necessary, will enter the market. Because also we have to remember that ETC is also not exactly a blue chip.
0: Well, and this is the point, they've they've had their fair share of uh, challenges with the regulators in, in recent years as well. So it was an interesting choice of partnership here. I mean, June did you have any thoughts on this
3: one? Yeah, maybe coming at it from a slightly different angle. Um, I, was, I was in Zug recently at the TechCrunch um, event and uh, talking to some VCs who were looking to get into the space. And, you know, custody is also an issue that they have, right? So if they want to invest in tokens uh, right now, a lot of them are doing it themselves, which I believe is also what a lot of small crypto hedge funds are doing. So literally, yeah, keeping your private keys and your recovery seeds and safes and so on. Um, so I wonder if um, this is a need that is also being met for the for the growing VC interest in the space.
0: Oh, it's probably they're the client here rather than when they say institutional investors, what institutional investor do they mean? Do they mean the pension fund or the sovereign wealth fund or do they mean the VC fund? Those are two very different animals. Interesting set of questions for sure. June, when you were at the Tech TechCrunch event, did you catch one of the things that Vitalik came out with, which is uh, centralized exchanges need to burn in hell? Uh I don't know if you caught this statement, which I thought was quite fun. Uh, do, do you, why do you think there's this uh, reaction to, you know, sort of some of the activity of centralized exchanges?
3: Uh, I suspect it was, uh, I was in the room when he said that. And, uh, you know, that comment drew a lot of uh, kind of a pause and then a lot of cheers from the crowd. Um, a lot of Ethereum supporters were in the room. I, I suspect it was because of the Fcoin Uh, growth in volume. So Fcoin is running this thing where they're asking people to send tokens to a particular smart contract address, uh, and that's clogging up the Ethereum network. So my guess is is related to that, rather than Uh, Binance or or some other. Yeah, it wasn't an attack
0: on a specific centralized exchange. It's more, hey, look, we're starting to decentralize all the things. Look how great we are.
3: Yeah, and also this particular incident now, where the Ethereum network is getting clogged up uh, as a result of, you know, I suppose he probably sees Vitalik probably sees it as an irresponsible use of of the Ethereum network.
1: These centralized exchanges are also a single point of failure, aren't they? Which is exactly what Ethereum and other uh, decentralized network networks were, were created in response to. So there is that element of topology. If you build centralized systems on top of a decentralized network, then you are going to end up with these clogging. Uh, and it's certainly an ideology play anyway.
2: Yeah. And aren't... And It's an interesting. Why? Why did he do this? Again, speaking to the motivation, why would he say something like that when the price of when ether is largely still traded on centralized exchanges?
0: Uh, I I guess uh, very little of what Vitalik says comes down to the price, right? I mean, he's he's much more uh, kind of, I guess, idealistic than than price driven. That's my read, anyway.
3: That said, also to be consistent with this position, if indeed he was commenting on Fcoin clogging up the Ethereum network, we didn't see a similar. Edict against uh, CryptoKitties when CryptoKitties did this. So I wonder why the inconsistency there.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting point. And also CryptoKitties uh, as a smart contract was somewhat centralized. So great that I've got uh, this decentralized platform running this unstoppable code. But I've only got one developer with an API key who can change the code. So now I've centralized the developers. So like, ultimately, it kind of, it's whack-a-mole for centralization a little bit at the moment. It's, it's kind of an interesting challenge.
2: And quite antagonistic as well. Burn in hell is kind of extreme.
0: Yeah, I think he was somewhat tongue-in-cheek when, when he said it in context. But actually, that Zoo TechCrunch conference was interesting. A lot of interesting tidbits came out of that I watched a little bit of it on YouTube. And it's, it's well worth a look all right next story comes from well coindesk.com given we have two coindesk folks here with us uh this one is about the swiss stock exchange um they're apparently going to tokenize securities with their new dlt platform so their principal stock exchange has announced that it's developing a blockchain based platform to tokenize traditional securities as a regulated stock trading platform they said the sdx will have the same standard of oversight and regulation upon completion and it'll be supervised by the swiss financial regulators uh their first step is to build build up an exchange platform and in the second phase they're going to offer the service to tokenize existing bankable assets which will be followed by the tokenization of quote non-bankable assets, um, following an agile approach, blah, 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 blah. Uh, what do you think about this one, Noah?
2: I think it's optimistic. I hope I'm wrong, but the timing sounds very optimistic. Rewiring an entire exchange in a year, is that they think they're given? I,
0: I don't think they're rewiring the existing exchange. This feels like they're just building a new thing.
2: But it's a similar thing, though. You're still rewiring how it works. And if you look at what ASX are trying to do, which is a similar sort of project, perhaps a different scale. I yeah. mean, they're looking at... F- Two, three, five years, perhaps, and they're going to try and do it in one. It's true that SIX Exchange is very well known for their. They were the first exchange to go totally electronic, for mm-hmm. instance. So they are, they have a they have the kudos, they have the clout, they have the reputation to be able to pull it off. If anyone can, it still sounds optimistic. But what I'm most intrigued about is what's coming next: the tokenization of securities, and even more intriguing for a regulated exchange, tokenizing other things that aren't securities. tokenizing so non-bankable assets, I think, is the term that they use.
0: That's truly exciting. Um, no surprise that it's coming out of Switzerland given the, given the amount of activity there. But, but I, I want to come back to this ASX piece because I, I think it's quite different to what the ASX are doing. The ASX are taking what they do today and putting a blockchain on it. Whereas this is, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're going to leave that and continue to running. None of that is going to get turned off anytime in the near future. Whereas ASX are saying, we are going to turn off the old stuff and migrate to this new stuff, which is an entirely different challenge to all of that's going to keep running and we're also going to build this in addition.
2: Although we don't know that. I mean, the ASX are going to keep the old one running while the new one is running just for safety reasons. There is a,
0: there is a parallel, but the the expectation is that the new would wholesale replace the old. Whereas I don't think, that well, it may be the case, but it's not been outlined here that there is an expectation that this would ever replace or in the foreseeable future would replace what's there. This is an addition to rather than a replacement of, which possibly makes it why they can move quickly. But to the second point, it doesn't make it any less interesting that they're looking at tokenizing securities and then doing other things.
2: True. And if it works, then why keep going with the old system? It, It also depends what partners they plan to bring in. If it's just going to be six securities... Why do Hmm. it with a blockchain unless they are planning on rolling it out to other partners in the sector and possibly other other exchanges? comes back down to decentralized exchanges again, doesn't it?
3: I have a question here to ask my more knowledgeable um, um, podcast uh, mates, (laughs) being not from the financial sector. uh, When they talk about non-bankable assets, what do we think that means?
2: Real estate mainly, that's the most obvious one, but anything that is not a tradable security at the moment. Art might even be in there, diamonds possibly.
0: Under EU law, it would be AIFF assets, AFMID, I believe it's pronounced, as opposed to MIFID. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just
2: to confuse us, the alphabet soup.
0: Yeah, it really is. Um, so, yeah, real estate is probably the most well-known. You get loan origination in there sometimes, private equity. Uh, you're familiar with a company called Harbour, Harbor.com. Uh, came from a- A16Z, invested in them. Um, there's a lot of these types of companies, there are others out there, that are looking at that alternative asset class as being the sweet spot. And this is actually what uh, excites a lot of uh, institutions at the moment, is it, they're not, you know, so you've got kind of almost these three areas. You've got tokenizing securities, which is okay, but actually, we've kind of got electronic securities. They're not great, but they're, you know, by modern standards they're not 24 7 but there's a whole bunch of reasons why you might not even want that then you've got these alternatives which still aren't de- fully dematerialized a lot of real estate still the title exists as paper they haven't been dematerialized in that sense so you have a custodian literally holding onto a piece of paper in a vault somewhere It starts to look weirdly like bitcoin um <laughs> but and then you've got crypto Um, And the alternatives. So if you see almost those three circles, you've got securities, people want to tokenize those. You've got the alternatives, people want to tokenize those. And then you've got crypto assets. All three of those could be in scope for the Swiss stock exchange and all three of those are interesting for different reasons and you've kind of got this pincer movement of people attacking it from the crypto asset side and then people attacking it from the securities or the alternative side from the more financial and then somewhere in the middle is this really interesting answer Ryan Selkis put out an interesting tweet a couple of weeks ago though he was sort of saying what does the crypto synthetic version of those alternatives or the crypto synthetic version of uh, s- securities look like so it's going to be an area that keeps developing.
2: And the, the liquidity that it could bring to illiquid markets and real estate, but especially private equity. Think what that could do to access to financing. Oh, Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
1: Encumbering some assets on a balance sheet that aren't necessarily bankable and being able to be your own bank against that is a fascinating idea.
0: From a liquidity standpoint, right? I mean, working capital for businesses is hugely difficult and the best of time you tie up a massive amount of working capital just to try and do anything and it's locked and it's like even if it doesn't happen all of that capital from your balance sheet is just gone, it's locked, it's like it's for that purpose it's almost like if somebody came along and said oh you're thinking about buying a house what we're going to do is all the money you were going to use every month for the mortgage, we're going to take that for the next 12 months and just lock it up so you can't use it and you're like well hang on I've got to pay my rent on my existing place, like there's there's all of these challenges that you could start to get through right, there's kind of a link story here did anybody see that invest.com and Bittrex announced a new digital trading platform as well so apparently it's combining Bittrex's trading platform uh, and their selection of more than 200 tokens with invest.com's team of experts in derivative trading, portfolio management, and equity trading. So interested and qualified customers can pre-register for an account. You know, is crypto going mainstream here? And in, certainly in the financial services as well.
2: I think this is a URL play, to be honest. I mean, Invest sort of have been closing down their standard business, the business that they're known for. This is their new path for them, a pivot, if you like. Huh. And it's about trading. It's not about investing. As a media person, I get a bit miffed when I see the two terms confused because yeah. I that's misleading to the consumer you're either a trader or you're an investor you can be both but not at the same
0: time great Mm. point
2: and invest.com housing a trading platform
0: so we also saw that crypto.com had just been bought maybe it's uh, maybe it's a good time to be a domain squatter
2: URL plays (laughs) What if if Six Securities could put these on their new platform and and we could trade them?
0: Wow. Yeah, well, so I did see a project actually for domain squatting as a token. Somebody who was doing auctions of domain names and they were an existing business, but they built a token to do it. And it raised an ICO of about 20 million. Wow. (laughs) Wow, it's fascinating. This is why um, Colin Platt, Tim Swanson, John Collins and a few others had Pitch Token and Pitch Token Classic. Because they realized that uh, no matter how stupid the idea is, somebody's already done an ICO (laughs) for it. So you need to fork the idea. Idea, you can't actually have the idea. Okay, <laughs> hey, that's
2: what it makes it like a competition. You should run a competition like that. Who can come up with the stupidest idea possible and then who out there knows of it already being tried? Yeah. You could sell the tokens
1: so you can apply to win the competition.
2: Yeah. And also it Sounds could be like who nice, can yeah. think up the most the craziest idea possible. Oh, Let alone uh, the stupidest idea, but the craziest
1: one.
0: I think we've just got a new game work? for our next live yes, blockchain insider you. show. Brilliant. Um, watch, out, watch out for it here. All right. Um, Kindest.com uh, has another story here. Apparently, filings have linked the crypto exchange Bitstamp to game maker Nexon. Jim, walk us through this one.
3: Yeah, this is a story I was chasing back in my reporter days. The rumors. Oh, those days. Those, you <laughs> Before know, you
0: became full hipster. Those, yeah, <laughs> those good old days.
3: And, you know, the rumors have been circulating for a while. Uh, Business Insider has written about this. Korean newspapers, the Korean Herald wrote about this a few months ago that uh, Nexon acquired Bitstamp. Uh, and for, for, I've heard, you know, different estimates uh, ranging from, Three hundred to to kind of five hundred million, and if you recall, Poloniex was acquired by Circle for I want to say six hundred million, maybe.
2: Do we know their revenues? I mean, we go to some sort of multiple on this, so we could start to value other exchanges. I've I've no idea how that would work.
3: Yeah, it's totally opaque. I mean, um, you can look up some of the filings in Luxembourg and Belgium, but they're about two years out of date, and I don't think they even lodge their accounts with. Uh, with those uh, companies registrars, yeah, so, so th-
2: there's no market pricing going on for these companies. No,
3: no. I think it's all based on uh, it's all grapevine based
0: valuations. Wow. So Circle paid four hundred million dollars for the acquisition, according to TechCrunch.
3: Right, right. So it was right in that ballpark. And um, what what the filings show is that so there are two sets of uh, documents. One is a set of incorporation documents in Belgium for a company called Bitstamp NV, Bitstamp Holdings NV. Uh, and another is basically a filing from the Korean entity saying that uh, Bitstamp Envy was created and we own Bitstamp Envy. Uh, uh, so Nexon is a big mobile games and uh, well, PC game maker. The founder of Nexon is a man named Kim Jong-gu, who is Korea's third richest man. And Bitstamp Envy in, Bitstamp in Belgium is owned by his family office.
0: Uh, in which is operated out of Belgium. Right. So it's not necessarily, it, if you were to read between the lines here and just purely speculate, it could be the case. Um, and we don't know any of this and it's unsubstantiated, but that a privately wealthy individual's pro- family office attempted to uh, make an acquisition by creating a new company. And we don't know if that happened or didn't happen. It may still be in the works uh, and also happens to own this game company. The game company itself may, not be, may or may not be doing anything with that whatsoever, right,
3: right, exactly. Um, you know what I've heard said is that this is basically a personal deal done by Kim Jong Un to acquire yeah. um, the the exchange, which is kind of incredible if you think about it. An individual acquiring a very, very the oldest crypto exchange running today. What the filings don't tell us, however, is the linkage between these entities controlled by Kim and the operating entity Bitstamp, which is. You know, they have, they have a company in Belgium, they are incorporated in the UK and in Luxembourg. And uh, there's yeah. no linkage between those, t- those two groups of companies. Uh, and that's really the only thing that is preventing us from confirming that
0: uh, an acquisition has indeed taken place. Wow. Uh, it's interesting that Bitstamp seemed to have had very different fortunes to Coinbase. Both started around the same time. Uh, Bitstamp were famous for being the people that, you know, when a big company announced, you can now buy stuff on their website with Bitcoin, it was actually Bitstamp that were acquiring the Bitcoins and settling in dollars. Like they were you know, they were the poster children for a little while, but it seems to have sort of gone away. Yeah,
3: they've certainly gone down in prominence, um, you know, overshadowed by, I guess, Coinbase has ridden the trends very well. Uh, and if you remember early on, Coinbase, base didn't even really have an exchange. They were basically a brokerage. Yeah. And it was only quite recently that they actually turned that, spun that into a full-blown exchange business. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Bitstamp has has become you know, less in the spotlight, I think, in, the, in recent years.
0: Oh, well. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, this one comes from um, Todd McDonald's Medium. Um, and this kind of goes back to that six story that we were talking about, Noel. Um, the emergence of enterprise tokens. Can we have our quarter cake and eat it too? And he asked the question, could the same enterprise-ready focus uh, that led to them building Corda extend to the wild west of the token world? So, in summary, uh, he sort of says, if you squint, you can start to see the emergence of regulatorily-friendly Digitally native companies using Corda to manage some of their aspects of legal formation, capital formation, or governance. Or a certain three-letter acronym that enterprises and regulators might embrace. So this is the idea that, whoa, hang on a minute, these Corda guys are sort of saying hey, this token world is pretty interesting. They've been playing around with it for a little while. And on this um, Medium blog post, so it's called The Emergence of Enterprise Tokens, he has this idea of an axis, you know, sort of a classic um, two by two. And on the left-hand side, so on the the vertical axis, it's off-ledger trust obligations or backing. So how much do I have to trust somebody other than the ledger? And then on the other side, he's got digital assets to crypto assets. And initially, sort of like the depository receipt Um, You trust the custodian. Somebody else has the receipt that represents the asset. So we were talking earlier about securities have been dematerialized. It basically works with transactions and transaction receipts. It's double entry bookkeeping. That's how they were dematerialized. And then on the opposite side, you've kind of got Bitcoin. You know, you've kind of got this world of the asset is represented on the ledger purely there is no receipt for it if i either have the bitcoin or i don't i'm i'm custodying it myself and then in the middle you've kind of got this um consumer token play you know what does utility tokens mean what are the native assets mean and this is where we were earlier with you know what are security tokens going to mean what are um alternative tokens that play in that real estate space really going to mean and to me this speaks to the interest in the existing world of financial services for something new. And what I'm really genuinely on the fence about is, are we in another wave of, you know, sort of 2015, we had blockchain, not Bitcoin. Is it now tokens, not crypto? Is is Are we making the same mistake again here, or have we now found the convergence point between DLT and crypto? It's
2: fascinating to see how the vocabulary is emerging since 2015, and even what we called blockchain back then, we're not always calling that blockchain anymore. The vocabulary Mm. really is evolving. And even speaking of vocabulary, in Todd's post, one thing which I recommend everyone read, one thing he does, which I was very intrigued by, is that he's decided that They are not utility tokens. They are consumer tokens, which when you think about it does open up the playing field a bit and gives a better description really of what they are. Combine that with what he was hinting at about them being used for governance, ownership of projects, responsibility, custody of ideas or something like that, then consumer tokens within an enterprise starts to take on a very interesting slant.
0: And the idea of the consumptive nature of those tokens, to give it its credit, it was actually the Brooklyn Project and Pat Baraducci who, who coined that term. Todd here references the uh, the taxonomy done by Global Digital Finance, which disclosure um, I'm a founder of. So, but what I like about this is by t- starting to play with those definitions, you're starting to increase the scope of what are tradable assets and that's what I find really exciting is whilst we talked about there's the world of securities and alternatives there's a whole world of new alternatives in the NFT worlds the crypto collectibles the stable coins there's this whole new world of assets that become available and tradable that become even more exciting to to my mind possibly than just uh, than tokenizing the existing
2: because it gives us a glimpse of the New type of business processes that we dreamt of mm-hmm. back in when we got into this sector. We're actually starting to see what it could look like now.
0: Is this more of the creeping legitimization of the you know crypto world of tokenization, or or is do you, June do you view Sarah do you still view the crypto world as as being a bit too Wild West for big enterprise?
1: Uh, I think with the introduction of some of the systems and services that we've talked about today with six and DLT um, and and indeed. Uh, well Corda have always been enterprise in my view so the Corda um, enterprise is you know a nice definition for for what they have it seems like it's potentially a response to the enterprise Ethereum alliance Mm -hmm. Um, but I do think that there is definitely a convergence in this space I think there's always the 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 wild west as you call it might be where the innovation happens Um, but there needs to be some kind of convergence and coalesce coalition between um, the wild west and the um, enterprise space and I think that really comes a lot down to the people you see in this space Yeah. and I think there's been a lot of crossover in, uh, in between the the crypto into the enterprise and the enterprise into the crypto or Daywalkers uh, as it were. Yeah, yeah and I think that sharing of knowledge actually is really what's driven the maturity of this market and then potentially the convergence too
0: Yeah, because June, I, I really appreciate your views on this, you've sort of sat back from the space for a little while and you saw the blockchain, not Bitcoin movement come along. And then sort of, as you look at the market now, do you think that the crypto world, as it talks, some of the communi- crypto community talks about wanting regulation, some of the crypto community talks about wanting institutional capital. Do you think we can get to the point where the compromises would be made on both sides to, to find that middle ground? And is Todd hinting at that here?
3: I feel like the um, the crypto world continuously surprises us with its capacity for let's call it regulatory arbitrage, uh-huh. because with the rise of things like Binance and Fcoin, you know, you, you, you kind of think, well, how much bigger can an exchange business be or like what innovations can come out of it? And lo and behold, you know, now we have token exchanges with their own tokens and various listing models and so on. So it feels as though the 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 portion of the pie containing the Wild West keeps getting bigger, yeah. but also the overlap is actually commensurately growing. Yeah. So things like Coinbase and so on.
0: It's be um, hard to tell, isn't it? Because as you play further and further out to the Wild West, you increase your counter-terrorist financing and anti money laundering problem, which actually decreases your chances of legitimacy over time. But also, once something gets big enough, it de facto becomes legitimate because you can't criminalize half the world, for instance. So uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. And yeah, um, I have a note in my show notes here, I mentioned it at the outset, but as, as you said, Sarah, Corder have launched their Corder Enterprise, which I think is, a lot of people, the rumors about are they well funded are they going to ship are they ever going to deliver Um, shout out to anybody who's building things and delivering it Uh, well done guys for getting that over the line all right, next story comes from AltFi.com. The FCA, the uh, Financial Conduct Authority in the United Kingdom, has revealed their blockchain and crypto-heavy fourth sandbox. So uh, of the 29 fintechs in their fourth cohort, I believe about 11 were doing something with blockchain or crypto assets. And uh, of course, for those of you unfamiliar, the sandbox is sort of their, uh, a way to test new products and services if you haven't already become regulated, but you want to do something that might be a regulated activity without necessarily going to jail. Alongside the... The, the kind of the regular fintechs, they saw a lot of people experimenting with crypto assets. And Chris Waller, the exec director uh, at the FCA of strategy and competition, says that experimentation will help inform their policy work and propositions aimed at helping lower income consumers. Really interesting to see the uh, consumer focused regulator here, the FCA, really starting to look at hey, can, can this technology really help us around financial inclusion?
2: It's interesting the selection of uh, startups being blockchain heavy because obviously the FCA is paying very uh, deep attention, if that's even a phrase, to the possibility of broadening financial inclusion. It's mm-hmm. not as much of a problem in the UK, for instance, as it is in other areas, mm-hmm. but DFID and other government organizations do have a very you know, deep work network in, in countries that don't have that Quite as as um, well organized. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is the question: Is the heavy emphasis on blockchain projects in the FCA cohort an FCA? Bias, Or is it just that there are more blockchain startups and it's evenly balanced?
1: I think it could be a little bit of both. I remember going to a panel discussion, I think. It must have been a couple of years ago now. And it could have been just after Cohort 1 had been announced with the FCA. And there were a couple of questions in the audience from obviously quite disgruntled startup CEOs, CTOs, asking why they weren't allowed in cohort one with their crypto exchange. And the response from the FCA was uh-huh. <laughs> um, so And there was zero, there was absolutely zero. I think there is potentially as has been a theme throughout this podcast and quite a lot of others there's a maturity now in the market and the financial inclusion thing is one side but it's also I think it's an element of um, democratizing um, raising funds for small businesses and things and there could be potentially a sort of UK Brexit play in there I think there's a number of reasons and we know we know people at the FCA who've got a deep knowledge in and DLT and blockchain so it could potentially be that there's people on the panel judging now that say yes that's a good idea or no that's not
0: they've come up the knowledge curve a little bit I think yeah. the assumption was ooh, crypto assets scary and actually as they've gotten closer to it you know Bitcoin and ETH feel like grandparents now They're they're, they're sort of a bit long in the tooth everybody understands them everybody knows how to make them feel safe like they're not um, they're not punk rock anymore like they're the g- so now if you're working with Ethereum suddenly you're not doing something so scary it's like oh yeah no we've known about that for the last three or four years we kind of understand it so maybe there's a bit of a different attitude and approach but there's some things that happened in the previous cohorts so Navora and then in this one 2030 people issuing eth denominated bonds directly onto the public permissionless ethereum blockchain uh, with major institutions like the london stock exchange behind them there's really interesting things that happen between the lines in the sandbox stuff that i think people miss because everybody's like oh the sec gonna say this or the sec gonna say that and of course the fca has a very different remit they're about protecting consumers they're not looking specifically at securities law but that said uh, it is one to keep an eye on i'm sure What's interesting about this story is that we also saw Abu Dhabi, Singapore, Malta, Japan, Bermuda, Mauritius, all, all of these areas have either a sandbox or some sort of play around getting crypto assets to be seen as something you want to do in their jurisdiction versus China that banned it. Uh, you've kind of got the it's, you know, uh, South Korea who arguably had more of a, of a challenge in their market and more of a consumer protection risk than you have here. But you've seen this bifurcation of approach of, hey, there's a lot of crypto asset money out there, you should probably do it here versus like, hey, this is scary, we'd wish it would go away. And you've kind of got the US in the middle, like, just follow the rules, guys. Like, it, it really diverse set of approaches coming together, and it's going to be interesting to see how the next few months play out.
2: Especially given what we talked about earlier about the jurisdictional arbitrage, which is becoming a
0: thing. Right. So how are they going to coordinate? You know, the FSB and IOSCO, um, I know, are looking at getting together. Uh, they publicly stated that at, at the uh, G20 uh, on the 20th of July, they will be starting discussions about the process for harmonizing this stuff at the global level. But that's not going to be easy.
2: No, ambitious, very ambitious.
3: Just on the uh, sandbox level, I know the FCA and the Singapore Monetary Authority, which plays a dual role of kind of central bank and regulator, they have a, a kind of bilateral... Uh, a sandbox uh, deal in place uh, yeah the fintech bridge the um, fintech bridge yeah which is interesting because you know we're we're holding our consensus conference in singapore in september the first edition outside uh, new york and uh, the central bank will be giving a keynote uh, at the conference so it'll be interesting to see if they have any announcements or uh, uh, new thoughts on, I guess, uh, regulating crypto assets.
0: Singapore has always been very thoughtful um, when it comes to its, its regulations in this space. I hear a lot of people uh, that I speak to in the community uh, really think that it's, it's well considered. It, it, it's, not, it's not a low bar at all, but it's actually a very thoughtful bar that they've gone for. And that FinTech Bridges program uh, is also extended to Australia and a couple of other places. The idea being, if you are regulated and authorized in the UK and you come through the sandbox, program, de facto, you would have at least a leg up, if not be 80% of the way there in Singapore and Australia, and vice versa, which for a startup business that then wants to expand internationally could be extremely valuable or as a business that's dealing in an asset class that is global in nature like crypto assets you're also in a potentially interesting place jurisdictionally so um i think the fca uh, a couple of months ago announced they're starting to do a global sandbox so they're actively looking to partner with as many jurisdictions as possible so The FCA has been a real thought leader in in a lot of this sort of stuff when it comes to fintech for quite some time. And
2: that could tie in with what you were saying before about broadening the scope of financial inclusion which in the UK is perhaps not as much an issue as in some of the other jurisdictions that it's partnering with.
0: But still an issue. So last story today is uh, comes from ethereumworldnews.com which I'd never heard of. Apparently Ethereum is going higher security with the new Viper language um, introduced. So uh, Viper compiles to EVM. Um, and Famously Solidity uh, had been the language that was used before, uh, which was a bespoke language that had a number of issues, and essentially by cutting out a, a number of things like recursion um, and, and several other bits and pieces, uh, class inheritance, and a few of the bits features of solidity, they've apparently been able to make uh, smart contracts that are simpler and higher security. And of course, security is imperative the amount of hacks we've seen, where they have uh, sort of taken you know, a smart contract and you know, post fork or whatever else, basically taken advantage of. Of those features in the language and technically you can be Turing complete without recursion um, and, and uh, several of those other features. It's designed to be very Python-like um, and the highest level of security is needed. Apparently Viper will come in hand um, and smart contracts holding patient health metadata that kind of stuff where you need absolute security. Yeah, it, it's going to be um, it's going to be really important and I think again Vitalik gave a shout out for this as one of the projects he's really excited by in Zug um, June.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's one of a raft of kind of quite foundational Projects that are ongoing, you know, in the Ethereum world, uh, along with EE WASM, which is the Ethereum oh, yes. Web Assembly virtual machine, yeah. uh, which is a whole new virtual machine that people want to do that will run Web Assembly in addition to to other things. Which that that opens it up to you know, you can write, you'll be able to write almost in any language, and it'll compile to the to the new virtual machine, so um, you know it's one of the big things that are going on alongside all the protocol level, the network level stuff like sharding and so on. Mm-hmm. But I guess one one big question is kind of like when is all this stuff going to be uh, available for people to use, and when when will it make a material impact uh, on the network? Because yeah. as of now, we're still working with code that's a number of years old and was, you know, kind of thrown together pretty quickly, if I recall correctly.
0: It's great that we have all of these projects, but it seems like we've gone back to rebuild the construction equipment and the road at the same time. So it's kind of like... I'm While the
1: car
2: is going along it.
0: Yes. While the car is
1: going along. We certainly welcome this from an enterprise space. I think having language and tools that are able to offer things like formal ver- verification and security and auditability are, are key when it comes to being able to audit smart contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, yeah, we really welcome this as an Ethereum project. And there's I know, a few other, other domain-specific languages that are being released soon, to your point, when... Um, out there like Axlang, for example and uh, Flint I believe Mm. or a couple of others so it's yeah it's it's exciting to see and I think it just ties into the maturation of the industry again.
0: What's interesting is the difference in approach there was a there's a great Gartner slide that I tweeted earlier I don't know how it was leaked but um, Richard round uh, from r3 had it on his blog post and i found it and it was sort of saying you know what are enterprises looking at um in terms of you know what are they using in terms of platform and proprietary platforms in 2017 and ripple were, were quite high and then in 2018 it seems like you know code has grown significantly but so is Hyperledger and so is ethereum making up more than 18-90 percent of of kind of enterprise projects so it's very much become a three-horse race in the enterprise space. But you've got very different approaches. You know, Hyperledger is this bucket of code bases in which Fabric is moving very quickly, but there are all of these projects in and around it that support it. You've got um, the, the Burrow project in there that kind of almost makes it somewhat Ethereum-relatable and, and has, has some EVM elements to it. So that's really interesting and evolving. Corda is almost this very straight ahead. You know what it does. It does it well. It, it's good for these things, but it's not trying to be all things to all people. And then you've got this ethereum community in which you've got all of these flowers blooming in all different places and all of this creativity the thing i'm reminded of is when chris dixon wrote why decentralization matters blog post one of the things he said is like these open source projects tend to get delivered half-baked but then they gain community adoption because the tooling is, is built with the community and he gives the example of Microsoft Encarta does anybody remember Encarta this was the sadly yes, yes. Th- this was the kind of like C- I loved
2: Encarta it's giving away my age of course but I loved Encarta
0: yeah so pre and so Wikipedia when it's first shipped was incomplete people were of the view that it's not a real source you can't cite it um there was no real governance and it was shipped kind of half-baked and everybody mocked it and so Chris Dixon makes the point that that's exactly where the kind of permissionless uh, blockchain world is right now is it's kind of half-baked, you can't really trust it even though it's supposed to be about trust as a software primitive, but maybe that changes in time, so it's going to be an uh, interesting one to watch. I have,
2: I have a question How do we know how many open source projects work out well and how many don't?
1: That
0: would uh, be a great It's really to,
1: hard to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think... Um, There's been some really was,
0: interesting stats lately about the amount of coins that are going, uh, kind of disappearing off yeah. the coin market cap and going to almost zero. So,
1: 56%, I think, of ICOs, wasn't it? That, yeah. that, uh, Many more die will death. die.
3: I think that study was based on Twitter intensity of those <laughs> coins. Um, <laughs> the one that Bloomberg wrote about, which was the 40 or 50% statistic. And I guess to that point, you know, it's true that the team... That launched the coin may have stopped tweeting and promoting it, but um, I don't know if it's true that a lot of coins do go to zero. Because so
0: this was the um, uh, consensus. You guys talked about the Bitcoin standard, and uh, there were a number of there are five different measurements for how you measure like uh, GitHub, and then I think it was Telegram or Discord, and then it was social, and then it was market cap, and so it wasn't just the monetary value. Because the the interesting point that a number of people have been making recently is you can fork my blockchain but can you might you'll never take my community which sounded very william wallace but you know like it's harder to fork a community than it is to fork a blockchain well yeah.
3: vitalik addressed this in zuga as well i mean he went through a lot of topics um, in that 40 minutes and he said you know, if someone came up to me and put a gun to my head and asked me to write a hard fork patch for Ethereum, I would do it immediately. But the thing is, nobody would follow it. Uh, and I'm not entirely, I talked to some people at the, at the conference and we were saying, we're not entirely convinced that's true. People might follow it just by virtue of the fact that yeah. um, he, he's he it. The cult of Vitalik. It. Yes.
0: Mm. Which, uh, of course, Vinay Gupta was talking about um, in DevCon 1 back in 2015. So shout out, Vinay. All right, we're up against it on time. Um, picked out a story here that we didn't have much time to cover, but I just saw it at the last minute and threw it into the show notes. Um, so apparently, uh, mining giant Bitmain have been valued at 12 Billion dollars in a new funding round, so that was uh, apparently closed. And the uh, Bitmain itself are also investing fifty million dollars into the maker of the Opera browser. And I just saw an embargoed press release come out, but it uh, will be past embargo by the time this airs. Um, the Opera have announced they're adding a crypto wallet to their browser. So I really liked that little chain of events. That was uh, that was quite nice. And competing with Brave, so interesting that actually rather than using WebAssembly to have something like MetaMask inside of Chrome, you've now got direct support from the browser developer for a crypto wallet. And what does that mean?
3: I may be wrong, but I think Opera had a very big, uh, well, at least in the early days when it was still Norwegian owned, had a very big mobile install base. Yes. And so that might be a big play in the dApp world yeah. where you have you know your Toshis and your ciphers and so on, just in terms of the who can access dApps and, and interact with them.
0: Yeah, making it easy. That sort of, uh, the thesis is the kind of the decentralized web will be built on the foundations of the existing web and you need that kind of gateway into it. And of course, you know, you go back to the early days, it was the browser that started it all. So interesting coming full circle. Uh, The story uh, where apparently one of uh, Facebook's most senior engineers just became the director of engineering for blockchain. So uh, are they the incumbents and can they disrupt themselves? Uh, Interesting thing to play with.
1: Is that the news that was uh, released because somebody saw a LinkedIn post? Yes. Ch-
2: job job title was changed. So you can got to ask yourself, how many of media companies are going to have LinkedIn analysts from now on, people whose job it is just to you know, comb LinkedIn looking for job changes? Market uh, Intel LinkedIn.
3: Market that's, Intel. That used to title, be my job, actually. Did um, it? Uh. That's one way to get scoops. Uh, I think shout out to Steve O'Hare at TechCrunch for getting that one. Well done, well, Steve.
0: And well done, Steve. Already, Cointelegraph.com, the Global Blockchain Business Council, appoints Sandra Rose was their new ceo coinidle.com ethereum is in the midst of a gas crisis uh, solutions to overcome this problem this may have something to do with f coin that you were talking about uh techcrunch.com rip crypto a story about crypto.com being sold which we mentioned earlier in the news and uh bitcoinist.com ibm apparently uh, secured a billion dollar a billion australian dollar quote blockchain deal um a lot of suspicion about this actually being a billion dollar Deal to do stuff they were already doing with the government, and they threw a tiny bit of blockchain in there and, and uh, mentioned that, and people are maybe overhyping it just ever slightly. Uh, Alrighty, uh, it's time for Tweet of the Week. Tweet, 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 tweet. It's the Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. Alright, this week's Tweet of the Week comes from Jameson Lop at Lop on Twitter. Uh, always worth following. If you don't, I would highly recommend it. And he notes here that there have been 23 physical attacks targeted against crypto owners cataloged thus far 10 of them occurred in the past six months seems to be strong evidence that the rate of physical attacks is accelerating so any thoughts on this one g
3: um that's an interesting one you know you kind of had um a little bit of this at devcon 3 in cancun so i was in cancun and uh one of the you know there were a couple of attendees reported being kind of harassed or, sh- or shaken down for funds, not necessarily because of crypto, but there was a, a tension of fear in the background. And then also Joe Lubin of Consensus famously wrote on Reddit that, you know, his team would not officially be going as a group because he had hired a team of Navy SEALs to consult on whether it was safe for them to go. And the answer came back, no, it's not safe or such a number of wealthy individuals to be attending as a group, so um, you know th- this is definitely a fear.
0: Well, if you can be your own bank, you can be you, you, you can have your own bank robbers. There's a big downside to being your own bank. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, look, you can have your own bank. Like, so, like, I don't have to worry about bank robbers. I, like don't see, I
2: don't see that slogan taking off somehow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Unless you want to
1: start a bank robbery business. But it is, it is, <laughs> it is worrying for the there's people in the space, you know, Joe Lubimbo and one of them, that do have a visible great deal of cash. Uh, well, not cash, actually, probably a few legendanos stored somewhere. Um, whether or not anyone can get at any of those funds is one story, and whether or not they're being hurt, which is, you know, very bad,
2: is another. So it's a shame that people feel they have to resort to violence. And especially when it comes down to what do we mean by bearer asset in the first place? Is crypto a bearer asset?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, if you're holding the key, you're not actually necessarily holding the asset, but sort of you are. You're holding the ability to move the asset, and you're definitely maintaining some sort of ownership over that through the Nakamoto Signature. So, yeah, it's, it, 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 it isn't and it is. But like everything crypto, it has this quantum superposition of states, which is uh, which is interesting, much like 11FS. Um, All <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, and, and that's a reminder. The company that brings you this podcast we're a challenger agency we, we help banks asset managers or anybody who likes the idea of tokenizing uh, alternative assets with a challenge in blockchain to achieve something so if you want to understand how to do all that stuff or just have a speaker for your next event we hope you'll get in touch at 11fs.com uh, all right before we go and um, Sarah where can people find out more about you
1: you can find me on Twitter at Seronimo or you can tweet us at Climatics or go to Climatics.com or github.com forward slash Climatics
0: Ooh, I like it more github references please uh, June how about yourself? I'm at Jun Yin
3: on Twitter. Uh, you will not find my byline on anymore since I'm on the business side, but uh, do come yeah, to you, consensus. Yeah, you're on the dark
0: side now. What's being on the business side mean? Uh,
3: it means, uh, for the short term, building up the Consensus Singapore Conference, which will be an amazing gathering of 2,000 people in Singapore in <laughs> September. <So laughs> Wait, when is that up. again? September 19 19- well, and again? 20. <laughs> <laughs> nice plug <laughs> take it from the top
2: yeah,
0: yeah uh, Noel
2: <laughs> you can find me at on Twitter at Noel in Madrid and of course check out Coindesk.com I'm working on a new research vertical which we'll have more information on that soon
0: we love we love the research I gotta say I was at Consensus in New York and I thought the research bit at the beginning done by uh, done by the Coindesk guys was some of the best content from the whole show
2: I'm glad you said that because I totally agree I mean, Nolan and his team are doing an excellent job
0: on that yeah yeah alright um, and I have to thank our. Producer. Production team uh laura watkins our amazing producer holly blacksell our editor and assistant producer petrick barisha yes i finally said petrick's name right okay thank you for listening uh if you like what you heard please please subscribe to this podcast leave us a review on itunes uh, and spread the word tell your friends and colleagues or anybody that just passes you in the street just grab them and make them listen to we'll have more blockchain insider next week for now goodbye